0: Welcome to the REI Foundation podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now, your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we have the illustrious Allison Kirschbaum. Welcome, Allison. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Peely. It's great to be here.
1: All right. So a little bit about Allison. Allison is success obsessive with 16 years of sales, marketing, and business expertise, and she's only 25. Allison is a master of capital raising for new investors and rapidly scaling RE businesses through effective systems. Allison is also the CEO of uh, Luo Media Group, uh, providing targeted marketing services for real estate, private equity firms, and making real estate investors into industry-dominating thought leaders. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, the easiest question here is 25, 16 years of experience. So you started at nine. So yes, that's so awesome. So how does I that my start? My
2: services business when I was nine years old.
1: Wow. What that was that? That's amazing.
2: Um, I was a pet sitter and uh, we're not talking about just, you know, go to the neighbor's house and feed the cat. I grew up in the country. So when you live in the country, nobody has just one cat or one dog or, you know, feed the fish or the bird or whatever we're talking four or five cats, six dogs, two horses, and a guinea pig and none of them can, none of them can be with each other because they'll all eat each other. They all need to eat at different times and none of them can go in the backyard while the others are in the backyard. It's, it was a whole thing. So it taught me a lot wow. of responsibility very early.
0: That is amazing. So I get you, don't, you didn't start real estate when you were nine years old. Ten. You know, Ten. I
2: wanted to. You, I was a strange kid, like my poor <laughs> mother. I was a really strange, hard to handle type A kid. I used to read, I remember reading the classified sections with the, the real estate classified sections back when that was a thing, um, when I was nine or 10 years old. Because as a pet sitter and my dad being an entrepreneur, he would encourage me to think of, well, how could I take a small business into a bigger business? And he made an offhand comment at one point that, Um, You know, living in Colorado, there was a big need for people to leave their pets someplace reputable while they went skiing and that it could be very lucrative to open a pet ski hotel in the mountains. Being a nine-year-old, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I'm going to go find some land and do that right now. So I (laughs) I distinctly remember sitting with my dad in the front seat of our truck when we would go to town because we lived 30 minutes from the nearest town. We were way out in the country, like in the part of Colorado that looks like Kansas. I distinctly remember remember sitting in the front seat of the truck as a nine-year-old reading these classifieds um and saying oh dad I could buy this piece of land or this piece of land and I could put this kind of building on it and it could be this big and this big and then my dad finally burst my bubble one day and said you know Allie everybody when I was younger called me Allie you know Allie you have to be 18 to sign real estate papers and I was just crushed I was (laughs) like I can't buy this on my own (laughs) What? I know I can make the money to buy it. What do you mean it won't let me sign the paperwork? So I no, I did not start real estate when I was nine, but I started thinking
0: about it when I was
1: nine. Hey, oh, that's, that's I think
0: that's the best get start. Uh, yep.
1: I was just thinking, of seeing you sitting there at the and in front of the banker, you know, at nine, just sitting there <laughs> and having your pitch all put out and be ready to go. Oh, that's incredible. So, oh, man. so that
2: that was my next thing. the The pitch happened when I was twelve because when I was twelve, I started my first services business. I started making handmade jewelry to sell because what does every 12-year-old girl who lives in the country want? She wants her own horse. And I wasn't making enough money from pet sitting to buy a horse and to pay for the upkeep and all of that. So I started selling all of these dozens and dozens and dozens of crafts, mostly jewelry that I made every week all on my own for no apparent reason. I just always had to be doing something. And uh, I taught myself how to cold call when I was 12. I taught myself (laughs) how to do direct mail. I would um, go to craft sales, you know, where they, you know, they hold craft sales in high schools and stuff like that. And they have people selling handmade goods. I was the cute little blonde girl who would literally walk into the aisle and pull people away from other people's tables and say, come try this on. You would look great in this. Or do you have your Christmas gifts bought yet? I have myself on video doing this at 12. So that's when the pitching
0: started at 12. Watch (laughs) out. My face hurts. I'm smiling so big. That is so, that's like so adorably cute entrepreneur. That's just I like know, right. I think that was my big
2: advantage too, because people are like, "Oh, look at the cute little girl. Let's buy something from her." <laughs> <That's great.
1: laughs> so, so, when did you actually get started in real estate? When you could actually, did you figure out before eighteen that you could get someone else to sign the loan, or was that was that just too too past where you were going?
2: Well, uh, when I was eighteen, I got a real job at my my mom's recommendation. Um, I well, more than one, being the overachieving type a person that i've always been i got four part-time jobs at once in retail at christmas my very first job my very first season so i ended up working over 60 hours a week every single week um, Mm -hmm. to get started and i didn't want to give any of them up because i'm like people are counting on me i'm their best salesperson which was always true i was always the best salesperson uh, at whatever store i worked at um and uh, so I, I did that for about a year, and then one of the jobs that I had part time at a currency exchange offered me enough money to move over to them full time, and I ended up working my way up to being a uh, the sales manager for that company over all of the currency exchanges in the state of Texas. And by the time I got out of that company and took my first desk job, which was a the only reason I took it was a raise in pay. Like that's what every 22 year old does, right? I don't have a degree, I just have experience, and they're like we'll give you $76,000 a year. And I'm like, absolutely.
1: done. So I
2: take this job. And the very first day that I sit down at that gray desk with those padded gray walls, like an insane asylum. I don't know why people ever take desk jobs. But the first day I sat down at that desk, I said, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I will murder somebody if I have to do this for the next 30 years. So that day I started going over all of the books that, that I collected over the years, business books, um, mindset books, just looking for some, some industry that I could be in. Cause I wasn't going to be a pet sitter forever. I wasn't going to be a jewelry maker forever. And I knew that those were, those were kid businesses. I did them, they're done, they're gone. Um, and I came across in my pile of books, Robert Kiyosaki's, um, Flow quadrant and something about Robert Kiyosaki. I'm like, Oh, real estate. Robert does real estate. I could be good at that. Let's do real estate. So, uh, about nine months after that, I was 22. I got my first private investor and bought my first rental property. Um, which was a single family. And then about six, six, seven months after that, I bought my first commercial property also with private money.
0: Nice. Wow. wow. Amazing.
1: amazing. So when you, that's, man, we can go in so many different directions. I'm just thinking what, what would be prime to go. So let's stick first with having no experience in real estate, but getting a private investor. Uh, what was it that allowed you to to? course who was that investor or how did you meet him was it a personal friend or was it someone that you actually brought a pitch to because you had found the property or did you have him being investing in your project or her investing in your project before you even had the project
2: that that's a very good question I actually do a free white paper on this which I've turned into a speech I give away at my website uh, called fund the cause how to get your first stakeholder investor or mentor for your project even if you're brand new because this is what I had to learn when I was getting my first investor um, so to answer your question, Jason, he he was actually somebody that my realtor for the commercial property referred to me. She apparently uh, just talked me up so much to this guy. She was like, she's so smart. She's got a great plan. She's buying all this property, even though it was my first property at the time. Um, and she was like, you should really invest with her. The property ended up being very close to his hometown. He was familiar with the area. Um, and based on just that personal recommendation and my business plan and my experience with the single family market in Denver, which I was able to parlay into, uh, being able to have at least some kind of successful real estate experience that I could translate into the commercial market through those things. I was able to get over a hundred thousand dollar investment from him for that first property. Amazing.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Good. Incredible. Well, how has your business transformed to today?
2: Uh, It it has exploded. That's the only way I can say it. So I have several different business ventures right now. I run private equity firms for self-storage specifically, in which I'm a principal and uh, CEO slash CMO. I'm so responsible for bringing in investors and deals and being the investor liaison after those investors are brought into the fold, so to speak. I also do, as you can see from my bio, um, I've taken the proprietary processes that we've created on our side to market for those investors using 506C Regulation D private equity funds into a market, a a very underserved market for providing marketing to private equity funds in real estate, especially very small private equity funds that maybe this is their first time, they're they're not sure how to market, they don't really know what to do. Um, That's that's an area that I really have a heart for and it's something I'm very good at, which is the perfect niche to fill. and then I also do private uh, personal branding for thought leaders in the real estate space to help serve niches of the real estate market that are currently underserved, such as uh, I have a client who is a brilliant guy in the medical space, but he also does real estate, and his niche is to teach medical professionals how to buy real estate. So I'm able to serve a lot of different markets just spinning off from my original experience with self-storage.
0: Amazing. Wow, and to like give our listeners, I mean, I, she really, st- Allison started real estate between the ages of, you know, 18, you probably started thinking about it, but it really started 22. Correct. And how old are you? At- how old are you now, Allison? I'm 25. So she experienced this boom within the years of 22 to 25. Everything you've done is amazing. So give us a little bit more insight on the steps that it took to get you there. You said you read Robert Kiyosaki's book. What other, because we're really big on mentorship, do you have other mentors that you, you've you gone to and what, what's your, I guess, what's your take on mentorship? Because it sounds like you do a little bit of it yourself.
2: Um, I do, yes. I do do some coaching and some mentorship on very specific areas of real estate. I'm very young. Uh, I don't call myself a life coach. Uh, I, I'm not qualified to do that, but I'm qualified to teach on specific areas of real estate, such as scaling your business or how to do self-storage and that kind of thing. Um, to answer your last question first, in terms of mentorship, I I feel like if more people, especially people my age, took on mentors, we wouldn't have nearly this epidemic of failed small businesses or failed real estate businesses, buying the wrong property, losing money, what have you. Um, mentorship has been a huge key in my life. However, I haven't had a specific real estate targeted mentor, never have. This year I took on, uh, or last year, about six months ago, I took on uh, my first overall mentor, Trevor McGregor, um, my first paid overall mentor, I guess you could say. He's a results coach who was trained by Tony Robbins. Um, as a master platinum coach. And he's been amazing. He, as, as I tell people, he sees my potential even more clearly than I do, which is a big thing because I see my potential pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of real estate, all of my mentors have been what I like to call digital mentors. Uh, they're people that I know from their CDs or their books. I, I keep a log. I read between 75 and 100 books a year. I listen to at least 25 audiobooks, and most of them twice over because I'm not a very good auditory learner. I have to read it. Uh, but in general, the way that I learned real estate was to take massive action and to network. And I know everybody says that. I know everybody says you need to network, but it's completely true. There's, there's so many people that are willing to be your allies, even as a new person, just from the strength of your conviction, the strength of your business plan, and the strength of the other connections you can make. The only reason that I was able to get traction so quickly with several of the real estate purchases that I've made in self-storage is because I had an ally, Pamela Alton, who's my operations manager, who's Mm -hmm. extremely well-known in the self-storage industry. And I didn't do anything special to find her, but having her... Uh, in my corner, operating with me, um, bringing her connections, working with me was a huge step forward. And I found her with a cold call. I called her uh, to do a service for one of our properties. And she came to me about four months later and said, I like your plan. I like where you're going. I like that you're taking massive action. You're putting knowledge and thought and effort into this. I want to go where you're going. So that those would be my two big my three big keys, massive action, read as much as you possibly can and network as much as you possibly
0: can. I love what you just said. Having an investor tell you, I want to go where you're going. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you have the plan, you do the networking and you take the massive action. It's one thing for us all to say it. And like you said, everybody says it, Mm -hmm. but it's one thing to actually put it into practice. And It sounds like you've done just that, just to get yourself to where you are today. That's Mind blowing, it's amazing.
1: And networking, let's talk a little bit about networking. How, everybody talks about networking and maybe people think going out there, going to a meetup, you know, handing out a couple of business cards. How do you get the most out of networking?
2: Um, I would say that that is part of the solution. Part of the solution is to go out and meet people in person because as much as our world is digital right now and as much as I do online and as much as you can reach so many more people in a smaller amount of time online, there's always gonna have to be that personal level of connection. So um, I've, I've tried every networking group in the Denver area. There's probably dozens of them, and I've narrowed it down to three or four that are really valuable for me, um, that I know I get good connections out of, that I, I, meet, um, I meet people that have gone where I wanna go or that are going where I wanna go. So going out and handing out business cards is an effective technique if you know what you want out of that meeting. If you go to a meetup and just say, hey, I'm just gonna see who I meet, you can very easily get stuck in the corner with somebody who's a perpetual student, they've been working on this, quote unquote, working on this for 10 years, they've never bought a deal, and you end up wasting your entire night just chit-chatting with somebody. You Some people think that it's quote unquote sleazy to have an agenda when you go and talk to somebody, but would you, if you were at a work networking function for your job, would you just walk up to any random person, somebody who was completely outside of your department and start up a conversation with them? No, you don't You don't get anything out of that. So you need to target exactly the people that have the knowledge or the capital or the ideas or the connections that you want um, and, and make sure to talk to those people. Stick close to them, listen to their conversations. Just that proximity is incredibly valuable. Um, and then the other part to that is not just in-person networking, but now we have so many ways to find great connections through social media. LinkedIn is incredibly valuable. LinkedIn is the most important business networking platform for any professional. If you're not on LinkedIn, and if you're not doing it right, you're missing huge opportunities. I have over 7,000 connections on LinkedIn, and I've gotten most of them just from connections of other connections. I don't know most of those people personally, um, which is something that LinkedIn says you should do. Everybody knows this, but Um, there, there are many ways that LinkedIn and other platforms provide to get introduced to somebody that you don't know, or to make connections with other people that you don't know that can benefit you. Uh, that's actually allowed me to get interviews set up for three podcasts a week for almost the next year, just through contacts I've made on LinkedIn. That is huge. That is huge exposure. There's no way I could do that just with in-person networking. So does that kind of answer your question Jason? No,
1: yep. that makes sense. We actually spoke on LinkedIn. So yep. it works it works in the networking stage right there. So I love it. I love every bit of it. And, and
0: the funny thing is we weren't connected until recently, but your name yeah. kept on popping up on my feed. So when Jason <laughs> mentioned you I was like, I recognize I recognize her face, I recognize her name because LinkedIn is such a
2: valuable resource. That's all I
1: can say. I'm just everywhere. That's great. <laughs> and before I forget, uh, Trevor McGregor most recently had him on in episode 100. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Uh, absolutely oh, everything yeah, Allison yeah. just said there, amazing yeah. guy, amazing mission. And why did you, now we're going we're gonna to transition out. Why, did, why are we talking self-storage? Why did you find that that was the space for you?
2: Um, the reason I picked self-storage out of all the other asset classes I could have picked uh, is for three main reasons. Number one, I wanted a niche that I could stand out in. I, if you've ever read the book Red Ocean, Blue Ocean, uh, it's a study by, I think, Harvard professors. I can't remember exactly, but the premise is extremely simple. If you want to succeed as fast as possible and make as much money as possible in your area, you have to pick blue ocean. ocean that uh, you, have to, you have to pick a market versus your section of the ocean. Where there's not a lot of competition where not people don't necessarily specialize in it where all your competitors are maybe small or weak or not very active Um, and self-storage especially in the denver market i'm the only person that i've been able to find that is actively syndicating actively teaching on self-storage and especially across the country i know i'm biased but me personally i think i'm the only good self-storage teacher out there there are a couple of others they sell big courses and training programs and stuff i've been to all of them I don't think they're worth what they're selling them for. That's just me personally. I've read every single <laughs> self-storage book on Amazon and met every self-storage expert that claims to be a guru in the country. There, there There's not a lot of them. Even if, no matter how good they are, there's still not a lot of them. So self-storage is an area that I knew I could stand out in and not have a ton of competition in. Everybody does where it, it seemed to me at the time when I picked self-storage, it seemed like everybody did multi-family or single-family or some combination of it. They're flipping, they're doing the burr strategy, whatever. I didn't want to, to be one of those people because I knew that to go as fast as I wanted to go, I needed to be different. Uh, the second reason I picked self-storage is because it has a multi-tenant model. I knew after studying all of those hundreds of books a year on real estate that I didn't want the single-family or flipping approach where if I lose a tenant, I lose all of my income for that month and I have to do turnaround costs, and I have to look for a new tenant and all this stuff. So that's why um, when I bought my first single family, I actually rented it out by the room. So I had a single family property with a multifamily model. Um, And that's why I also started looking at storage. The third reason I love storage, the multi-tenant model, the the blue ocean theory. The third reason I love storage is because it's really freaking cheap to run and I don't need any employees at the site if I don't want them. We're literally talking about people renting a steel box on a concrete floor. There's, There's almost no churn cost. There's almost nothing you can do to it. There's usually very few insurance requirements. Um, and people don't even live there. They, they put their stuff there. And here's a great statistic if anybody is thinking about getting into self storage the average self storage customer visits their unit exactly twice the first time they rent, and then 18 months later when they move out. That's for a residential customer. For a commercial customer, they still visit almost exactly twice when they move in, and when they move out, 24 months later. There are obviously exceptions mm-hmm. to that, but that's a huge amount of less wear and tear on the property.
1: Wow. So you're, you're anticipating your turnover is every 18 months where a typical lease would be 12, 12 months, a lot more. And then you have less that it could actually damage steel and concrete. I mean, the model's great. What, <laughs> what makes yeah. your platform stand out? or How, does, how do you find yourself to, to just excel in this platform compared to some of the other operators you see?
2: I'm sorry, Jason, I think we're breaking up. Could you say that one more time?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, what actually, what makes your model stand out that you're able to excel so so well in this and maybe some of the other operators are, are still trying to figure out?
2: Uh, it's three things. Number one is my magnetic personality. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I'm very good at attracting people to the cause, so to speak. Even when, uh, before I started buying uh, huge amounts of self-storage or before we started our private equity funds, um, I, I was trained as a public speaker starting when I was young. I, I was in five or four or five Toastmasters at any one time. I'm, I tend to be quite good on stage so people would ask me to speak at things whether it was just about being a young entrepreneur or about buying your first property little things that I already knew about when I was still getting into self-storage and every time I spoke from then until now it happens every single time at least two to five people would come up to me after the event and say here's my business card I want to invest with you this was before I had any content to sell any investments to give them they would just come to me based on the strength of my knowledge and the strength of my presentation and say you know this person seems smart. I, they probably can invest my money properly or they already know of somebody who can. So that's key number one is I'm, I'm just very good at marketing in person and attracting people to the cause. Number two uh, is I, I'm just a born marketer. I love to market. I love to talk to people. I love to network. So we've been able to create marketing processes, most of them online, which is a weakness for a lot of real estate companies, especially self-storage. Uh, to be able to bring in not only investors, but deals in a very steady, consistent way, and then also translate that into getting renters for the facilities themselves. So the second thing is our marketing processes. The third thing is our operations processes. By taking some unusual steps, like cutting out tertiary income streams that most self-storage operators really try and hang on to, we've been able to reduce our operating costs to half of what they are for most self-storage operators. Think about it this way. The average self-storage operator spends about 30 to 35% of their total income on their operating costs, which is still 20 to 15% lower than the average multifamily owner. But we've been able to reduce that operating cost margin to between 15 and 20%. Imagine how much your profit would increase if you could run your facility at 15
1: to 20%. Give us some examples of those tertiary costs. I'm sorry? some examples of those tertiary costs that you're able to cut out?
2: Uh, ter- well, they're actually tertiary income streams, but they create bigger costs than they're worth. So number one would be parking. A lot of facilities in the areas that we buy and offer boat and RV and, and truck parking of various types. That creates a huge amount of confusion, a huge amount of liability, and makes it makes it very necessary to have a manager on site. By getting rid of that income stream of parking, which typically makes a storage facility, and, and this varies wildly, it depends on the number of units, where you are in the country, and all this kind of thing. Um, it tends to make the storage facility owner between seven and nine thousand dollars a year, versus having a manager on site costs you at least twenty-four to thirty-six thousand dollars a year. So we're able to get by getting rid of parking. We're able to no longer need a manager on site all the time. We also take out things like retail, which again necessitates having a manager. Um, sometimes we won't buy facilities that have climate control because of the necessity of a manager. Sometimes, or I'm sorry, at no time will we buy any kind of property that has any retail, a gas station, a hair salon attached to it. There's a lot of weird stuff that gets attached to it. <laughs> I was going
1: to say hair salon. That's, that, yeah. So
2: uh, by cutting out those things that most people would hang on to with all their might and say, oh my gosh, I'm giving up income if I get rid of this. Uh, we're actually able to create such a streamlined management model that we're able to reduce our cost by half.
0: So basically you keep it simple.
2: Yes. Very, very simple.
1: <laughs> it's smart though just exactly do the one thing the best don't worry about all the little answer things that you think are paying exactly. off because know your exactly. model because at this point you may be spending more just to get two dollars You may be spending five hours so absolutely incredible
0: so let us know a little bit about your best deal to date best deal
2: to date mm-hmm. um, I'd still have to say it's one that I did with my dad because oh. it's uh, it's a project that we can do together and it's also a very profitable storage facility so it works out great Um, we bought a facility in Branson, Missouri, uh, about 300 units, 311 units, some are climate control, some are regular. We didn't use our typical, uh, operations procedure with that facility because it was with my dad. It's a one-off, it's not part of the private equity fund. So with the one-off deals, we have some flexibility. Um, we bought this facility at, I believe it was an 8.7 cap it's currently after all of the costs for the security improvements and, and various other improvements that we've made to become more competitive in the market have been factored out we've been able to raise that to more like a 9.25 or a 9.5 cap based on the original purchase price um, and the cash on cash returns based on the investment from the first year are close to 17 percent for our, our single investor who's my dad we also were able to get it in a very creative way we were able to get a complete seller finance from the owner with 5% down initially and another 5% down within a year of closing. So we we were able to negotiate my favorite type of deal, which is a creative deal.
1: Oh, that's wow. amazing. And the management side, are you self-managing or is your group managing these properties or are you using a third-party management?
2: We are using a third party. Um, she's worked on site for the prior owner for a number of years. We just decided that it was, um, it was more relevant to keep her on because my dad didn't want to replace her with a kiosk. Um, me and my mom live about 20 minutes from this facility, so they I wouldn't say that they're exactly self-managing, but they're also not exactly using a third party. They tend to share management duties because my my dad likes everything to be just the way he wants it. He ends up going to the facility quite often. He, he does a lot of the repair work himself. Um, so I I think they probably could just manage it third person if it were further away. But since it's close, you, you know, it's like people that try and buy rental properties that are more than two hours away, so they won't be tempted to drive to them. We didn't follow that procedure with these yeah. property, so he ends up managing a lot of it.
1: Did he <laughs> find it, drive and buy it, and just said, Oh, you got to check this out. This might be a great opportunity. Or how did this come upon?
2: Um, this actually... I think we actually got this lead from my realtor who sold us the property in Kansas. Yeah, she sold us this property because the, the cities are not necessarily extremely close together, but she has ties to the Missouri Realtor Association and all that kind of thing. Um, and she got this lead for us and sent it over to us and it just eventually worked out.
0: Wow. Awesome. So what significant impact is your business dealing with right now? Either growing your team or some uh, something that you're working on constantly to, to grow and build. Give us something that you're actually working on right now.
2: So we are working on expanding our team. You're right. Uh, duplicating our original processes that have let us use all virtual assistants in our team and letting them use letting them do about 80% of the work that has to happen for both acquiring a property and running the property so that me and my partners can do just the most important things. Um, we've had so much demand for real estate investment in self storage that we're actually opening up another two private equity funds this year, just for self storage. And, um, it's, it's a lot of coordination, getting that many VAs duplicated over to other properties as well, to other funds that have different analysis parameters, rewriting the process documents, verifying that the process works, going through all the financial documents. Um, so that that really is the biggest thing. is hiring enough qualified people to do exactly what we want them to do, training them, getting the processes in place for that.
1: So if someone's a little farther along in their process and maybe they're looking into the... the- the private equity fund model, give, give us a high level approach about steps that you took that you think would be beneficial for them.
2: So are you talking about somebody who's already bought a lot of real estate and maybe they already have private investors?
1: Where uh, investors I would say, say yes. Let's say that they already um, have have holdings and they're looking to take it to the next level and, and have had private investors on their prior deals.
2: Perfect. That's, that's my specialty because that's the kind of people I usually end up uh, doing private equity marketing for. So the, the person that has already done a certain number of deals, they've proven a specific model, not the person who has done two multifamily and two single family and two flips and that kind of thing. Somebody who has a consistent model that they use to invest on a specific type of property. And they've already gotten at least a handful of private investors and those investors are happy to have some kind of track record. That kind of person is in a great opportunity to scale the way that you scale, Number one, read the E-myth by, um, I think it's Michael Berger, because that's that's where it all started for me, that's where my obsession with systems got started. Uh, and then after that, uh, after you've broken your, your team down into systems, after you've figured out where you wanna go, what your business plan is gonna be, and what you wanna do to get there, which I'm gonna assume for the purpose of this conversation is a private equity fund, you need to start getting your team in place. And what's worked very well for us is using sites like Upwork or Elance to hire freelancers and essentially virtual assistants, and then training them on our processes using Google Drive, Asana, various other online organization and management systems. And if you're gonna be doing a private equity fund, always, always, always consult a lawyer first. Very, very important. Private equity is an extremely powerful tool. It can help you go much, much further, much, much faster because it streamlines your equity and acquisition process very well. But there's a lot of rules that go with capital raising and with raising other people's money. And a lot of people that have just done one-offs, as they call them, investments with just one or two investors that they know well, they have a personal relationship, they're kind of running it all themselves, they've never done a PPM or a, a subscription agreement or anything like that. They don't realize how much hot water they can get into if they start doing that on a mass scale without the right documents.
0: So much information. Great.
1: What's the right step to find the right lawyer?
2: Uh, For me, it was actually, it started with a book, as usual. I went to uh, Amazon, and I started looking up books on crowdfunding and private equity. And it just so happened that one of the names on one of those books coincided with one of my, um, from time to time, mentors, I guess you could say. He's a, a real estate investor slash note buyer here in Denver, who's also done private equity before. Um, hey, she had, he had mentioned this lawyer's name before and I just happened to see her name again on a book from Amazon. And I said, oh, hey, uh, Kevin recommended this gal. Kevin's a smart guy. I'm gonna call her up and see what she can do for us. And then um, that translated into me meeting the folks at Reg D Resources who were at last year's Best Ever Conference and both of those entities, that lawyer and, and Reg D Resources have created funds for us at this point.
1: Amazing. Amazing. What's a a learning experience uh, you've had in your business that that maybe could help others uh, avoid or or detour away from?
2: Um, We had an experience recently where we jumped into a highly regulated industry that I went Allison on it. I learned everything I could about it. I spent uh, almost an entire year researching this, this industry Uh, Before we jumped into it and it just wasn't enough. I still didn't apparently didn't know everything I needed to know on top of getting into a really tough property. It was a turnaround It was in a a bad location all this kind of thing and even though we hired the best experts We spent about triple the money that that um, a smaller operator like us would typically spend on support staff and experts and consultants uh, and operations managers to make sure that it was going correctly we just couldn't We couldn't get it right. I couldn't make it to work this time. Um, and I'm, we're still kind of crawling out of that and still kind of assessing it. But based on the fact that we did all the right research, we took all the right precautions from our side, we hired all the right experts, the lesson that I learned from that is don't ever get into an industry that the government can tell you how to run your business. And that's a little bit hypocritical because private equity is obviously highly regulated. There's a lot of different rules that go along with it. But to me, that's an acceptable risk because of the, the, the leverage that it allows me to have versus an industry that's highly regulated, like healthcare or something like that. They literally have control over every aspect of your business, not just how you raise money. So that would be my learning experience. Stay the heck away from highly regulated industries. <laughs>
1: Got it. I love it. And before we jump into the next section and wrap this up, one last question. If you you do 506C seems to be your preferred raise method, of course, um, yes. that allows you to market to a, to a, to a higher level of looking for accredited investors. Um, there's also another model, 506B, which is uh, sophisticated and a mix of accredited but has to be within a hand's reach. If someone's just looking to maybe do their first syndication, would you – Push them one way or the other? If they maybe had a, a network of friends and family, would you tell them to jump to one direction or the other?
2: Um, I have to preface this by saying that I'm not a lawyer. Like I tell all my clients, I can't tell you one way or the other what would be best for you, but if it were me, um, if, if it were me and I had a network of people that were close to me, some accredited, some unaccredited who wanted to invest with me, uh, and this is the situation I was in when I started my first private equity fund. So I'll just tell you what I did. I picked 506C anyway, because I knew that the growth that we were going to be able to have was much, much greater. And the, the accredited people that I knew could be in that fund. And then we could raise a larger amount of money. We could go further faster by using a lot more marketing methods that we could use with the 506B. And then if the unaccredited investors that I knew still wanted to invest with me, by no means was I going to say, hey, I can't work with you anymore. You've given me all this money before, but I can't work with you. I would just do one-off deals with them because they're obviously people that I already know and trust and I've done business with before and that kind of thing. Um, I have a, I don't know if you call it a standard, but I have a preference not to work with a large number of unaccredited investors in general, especially because it, it puts such a crimp in our marketing methods, but um, unaccredited investors present a much larger risk both to the syndicator and to the, the investor themselves, because in general, unaccredited investors, Jason's nodding his head. I know you know this. Unaccredited investors um, don't typically don't have the level of experience that accredited investors do. That's not everybody. Some accredited investors just have a maybe they're high-paid accountants or something. I don't know. They don't know anything about real estate, but they're still accredited as, as the SEC views that. Um, unaccredited investors don't tend to have the the cushion to fall back on if something goes wrong with an investment, and they tend to need their money back more urgently and sooner than uh, accredited investors do. Maybe there's a health crisis in the family, or they, their college fund isn't working out the way they thought it would for their child, they need the money back quickly. And it's much more impactful to them if for some reason I can't get it back to them as quickly as they want, because our investor documents do state that we have to be able to put in equivalent money to avoid destabilizing the fund if we have to pull out an investor's capital. So if I can't just call up somebody and say, hey, I, I need your I need $100,000 to replace unaccredited investor's money so I can give it back to them um it, it creates more turmoil for both of us so i really prefer both for the marketing and for the risk uh to do 506 no matter what stage you're
1: in thank you
0: thank you for that wow yeah <laughs> everything that you've given us today has just been mind-blowing and amazing especially again Allison is, has only been doing this for about three years and she is a wealth of information. So if you're listening to this and we'll get to this question, please contact Allison and see if she can do anything to help you. But think but before, bigger
1: and uh, yeah. take massive action. It's two things we've heard continually here today and uh, that's it. There's no reason that if you're 50, 55, I mean, three years could put you in a better position. So don't think just, oh, young, like this is can be done very quickly with the right purpose in mind and exactly. just, but you have to educate yourself and surround yourself with great people.
0: So Allison, let's dig a little deeper. If you had to battle a Tyrannosaurus Rex, what weapon would you use?
2: <laughs> um, was this on the question list? I this completely? <laughs> it actually is. Yeah. It's a different oh God, <laughs> there's a version. I'm not as well prepared as I like to be. Um, we like <laughs> to throw Tyrannosaurus things in Rex. Uh
1: He'd be literal, literal or figurative. So either which way.
2: RPG. I totally use an RPG.
1: Okay. <laughs> Done. Done. From
2: <He> <laughs> open his mouth and just, just slot it right in there.
1: I love it. I love it. Give it to him. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's good. Sometimes we get people that want to outthink him, and I say, "Well, that's a viable option too, but I'd rather have the RPG." <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> okay, big gun. Good.
0: So let's get a little deeper. Seriously now, what okay. is your big why?
2: My big why? Yes, your big why. Okay. My big why is that I want to be the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. And I want to create such a legacy of wealth, such a legacy of success that a hundred years from now, 150 years of my grandkids and great grandkids are flying around in their driverless cars. They can look back and say, you know, grandma, great grandma, Allison, she started all this, she made it all possible. The family foundations, the, the wing at the new cyber hospital, with the, the opportunities we've been able to have, the changes we've been able to make in the world. She started that, she allowed that. I wanna build the kind of wealth, the kind of legacy that no car crash, no cancer, no government, no downturn, no stupid mistake by my, by my um, children or their children can take away.
0: My smile is like oh, it's like hurting. Yeah. That's like one of the best whys I've ever heard. That's fantastic, Allison.
1: Specific, clear, and massive. I love yes.
0: it. It's like one of those one of those whys you can really get behind, get excited about. I'm excited about it.
1: If you're a new exactly. real estate that's investor, that's why
0: I'm good at attracting people to
2: the cause. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. I feel it. We're loving it. <laughs> Jason, we're getting to self storage. Yeah.
1: <laughs> focus. Keep simple focus. focus. Yes. Yes. The, uh, yes. What would be a step you would give a new real estate mm-hmm. investor that wanted to take an actionable step today?
2: A real estate investor who wants to take an actionable step today yeah,
1: brand new to real estate just uh just trying to figure out you know how to take action, what would be something that you would think would be a good start
2: the that's actually a very good question. I'm launching a podcast of my own coming up in the next Love couple it. of weeks in which the first series deals with that exact question If you're brand new, how do you even pick how to move forward? How do you pick your niche? all of that good stuff. So here's the simple truth about real estate. There is way more information out there about real estate than any one person could ever possibly need. Note buying, tax lien sales, probate, um, flipping, uh, Burr strategy, multifamily, office, retail. There's so much information. Nobody needs more real estate information. You just need to know which information you need to go after. So for a brand new person, and this is what I say on the podcast as well, pick books that can give you an overview of different industries and that can show you how real estate as a whole works and talk to people along those same along that same vein you go to networking events don't go just to pick up any random contact be be like uh, Like my grandma with a box of chocolates. Make sure that you get one from each flavor. Talk to somebody who does tax liens. Ask them why they do it. Ask them what they like about it. Ask them what kind of lifestyle it gives them. What they have to do in order to do it. Talk to a flipper. I know a flipper who gets up at 3 a.m. every single morning and puts in offers on the MLS and he's the most successful flipper in the state, but he gets up at 3 a.m. every single morning. Figure out what the people in that industry have to do to be successful at it and then figure out if you want your lifestyle to match that pick up books like the ABCs of real estate, which is, uh, the name is eluding me, but the guy who writes it is a, a crony, of Robert Kiyosaki. It's a very yeah. valuable book. It goes over all the basics of real estate, loopholes of real estate investing, very similar from the same series. Um, and when you do research online, cause I know most people who are going to go do research about real estate are going to start online. When you do research online, don't search for things like, um, Actually, do, sorry, do search for things like how to make money in real estate and then aggregate a whole bunch of articles. Take it with a grain of salt, aggregate the knowledge you get from a whole bunch of articles, take notes on every single one, get a couple takeaways from each one, and look at all the industries and all the advice from all those articles as a whole and say, well, this article recommends flipping for this reason. This article recommends burr strategy. This article recommends commercial and figure out what you want your life to look like and how much money you wanna make and what you have to do to get that money and then pick your type of real estate. People, and this is the same for any business, any industry, people get so hyped up on, well, I have to pick a business that I love or I have to uh, pick real estate that's within two hours of my house. I have to this, I have to that. You don't have to do anything. You don't (laughs) have to be in real estate. There's thousands of other businesses you could do. You could do e-commerce, you could be an online marketer. Um, you, in some cases I've heard of panhandlers who make five, ten thousand dollars a month. Like there's a lot of stuff you can do. Don't be boxed into a specific niche or type of real estate until you know what it's going to take and what your life is going to be like once you do that. Mm-hmm. So that I, would be my first yeah. suggestion for you.
0: I love the fact that you have picking an aspect of real estate systematized. Like it sounds like everything you just gave us is basically a system to pick your niche. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if you, if you probably have a spreadsheet on this, I'm guessing. Yeah, you do. I do.
2: We do. I I have, I'm, I'm launching multiple podcasts that I've been working on for a lot of months and Trevor, God bless him. Trevor has been riding my rear for a very long time to get these podcasts launched, but I haven't launched them yet because they need to have a system. These are the types of podcasts that I wanted to have when I started in self-storage, for example. I wanted basically an audio version of the books I read on self-storage. I wanted somebody to get on and say, this is series one, episode A, and we're going to talk about why self-storage is a great investment. Or this is series two, episode B, and we're going to talk about how to analyze a less than 50,000 square foot self-storage property in a secondary market and make it really short and really targeted. 10, 15 minutes. Give me something I can listen to at two times speed, and I can get three of them in on my drive to work because I'm super type A, and that's the only type of, <laughs> of learning I'll accept. Good. So, yes, I have a spreadsheet on that. I have all of my episodes listed out on different series for different purposes, and it's intended so that whether you come to the series when I'm first starting it, or or to whether you come to the podcast when I'm first starting it right now, or whether you find it five years later, like like somebody finding best ever podcast five years later, um, you can go through and see the tags on each episode and say, oh, series one, that's for newbies trying to pick a niche. I'm going to listen to only series one. or um, I'm, I'm more experienced. I bought a self storage facility, but I want to know how to operate it better. Oh, series five. I'll go to series five. That's about operations. And they can just listen to the ones that are relevant for them. So yes, I have a spreadsheet. Love it.
0: <laughs> I cannot wait for your podcast. Next time we get on a call with Trevor, I'm going to be like, you know, your girl, Allison. can you, can you push your buttons a little bit yep. more so we can listen to our podcast? <laughs>
2: I'm so, sorry, I'm so sorry you're breaking up one more time oh, no
0: i was gonna i was just saying that next time we get on a call with trevor we're gonna push his buttons and tell her can you can you ask allison to get that podcast out mm-hmm. so we can listen to it
1: <laughs> you know allison slacking on guys, everything so are slacking are on that podcast I
2: another call with trevor on the
0: 14th and i don't want to hear him bugging me to do it again so i'm gonna get him launched before the 14th i love it so <laughs> since we're talking about your podcast what are the best ways for people to contact you best ways to contact me are uh, they can reach me at,
2: anybody any of your listeners can reach me at allisonkirschbaumcom you can reach me at you don't know which we use, which we use the acronym for ydkss.com you can also find me at you don't know real estate.com ydkre.com and the reason we picked those titles is because you may not know real estate or self storage when you come to find us but you will after you find us so all of my contact info uh, are, is available there. They can also find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. I'm all over social media. Um, they, I'm very easy to get a hold of. Fantastic.
0: Amazing. And before we leave you, what are some words that you live by? I'm so sorry. One more time. <laughs> what are some words that you live by? Words to live by. Yes. Be courageous. Don't ever be
2: lazy. Don't ever pass up an opportunity. If there are any sins in the Bible, according to Allison, it's doing something because you're afraid. It's cowardice. Fear should never stop you. Uh, Not doing something because you're being lazy. You know you got to do it and you just don't feel like it. That's not a good excuse. And passing up opportunities. I don't believe in regret, but I do believe in avoiding things that I know I'll regret even more than that. So if if I know there's an opportunity coming to me, I have to be ready for it or the, the, and this is something I'm working on with Trevor because this isn't a healthy response, but if I don't take an opportunity, I know I should have taken the guilt is just horrible. I can't take that. So I, I, those are my big three, be courageous, be hardworking, don't ever be lazy and don't ever pass up an opportunity. You know, you should take.
1: Love it. Absolutely incredible. Amazing episode, action-packed, a lot of high-level stuff here, and also a ton of information for you if you're just trying to get your mindset on on how to take massive action. Allison, thank you so much.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. Well, this is the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Again, so much thanks to Allison Kirschbaum and so grateful to you for listening. Thank you so much.